Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Hey friends, welcome to episode 22 of our COVID-19 podcast. Today I want to talk about something I think is really relevant to all of our lives, especially given where society is at this moment in time, and that is the topic of anxiety. And to remind you, the title of this podcast is Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, but behind that title are a few assumptions. One, I believe that calm words create calm people. And two, I believe that calm people are better positioned to make a meaningful contribution to our world than are anxious people. To put it a little bit more plainly, it's really hard to make a thoughtful, love-spreading difference to the world whenever you're freaking out. Because for me, before Christianity says anything about our actions or what we should do, our faith speaks a powerful word about who we are and about the sort of presence that is needed to bring healing to our world. And so for me, our capacity to stay calm is a very important Christian practice. And of course, there is lots of biblical support for that position. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we need to worry less about our life and that we could all learn a thing or two from the lilies of the field. Likewise, in Philippians, Paul tells us that We should not be anxious about anything, which is remarkable given that he wrote that letter from prison. And 1 Peter tells us to cast all our anxiety onto God. You see, the wisdom of both scripture and modern psychology is that nothing will impair our capacity to stay calm and centered more than anxiety, which is why I think it's important that we increase our capacity to see and manage anxiety in our life, to know our default instinctual response to anxiety, and then to increase our capacity to know where we stand and to make wise, courageous decisions in the midst of feeling anxious. And so for today's episode, as we explore anxiety, I'm going to appeal to three sources— a doctor, a rabbi, and a doctor who was also a rabbi. The doctor was Murray Bowen, the rabbi was Ed Friedman, and the doctor of souls slash rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. Let's start with Murray Bowen. Murray Bowen was a psychiatrist who studied schizophrenia at the Menninger Clinic in Kansas, And whereas traditional forms of psychiatry look at how we are unique as humans, right, we go in and examine the subjective experience of the human being, perhaps through dream analysis or talk therapy, Bowen was much more interested in how we're more like lower forms of life and therefore governed by the same instinctual process as the animal world. And what he observed is that deeply wired into our DNA is a survival mechanism. We all have within us a powerful drive for self-preservation, 
And what this means is that whenever we imagine a threat or perhaps feel suddenly vulnerable, we react. It is automatic, it is reflexive, and it is mindless. No one tells us how to react, we just do. And what this means is that the human brain is designed to react to threats, not meditate on them. I'll say that again. Our brains are designed to react to perceived threats, not meditate on them. Here's my question. Is this helpful? And of course, it depends. If you come at me running with a knife, this is very helpful. I don't need to pause and reflect and start to think, what is that sharp object? Why is this person frowning at me and running at full speed? What does this all mean? No, it's a very good thing that I react quickly and I run away. But on the other hand, if you come at me with a different idea or with some feedback about how you experience me that doesn't mesh with how I want to be perceived, well, then reacting to protect myself is not helpful at all. It leads to division and polarization and misunderstanding and impaired relationships. And so when Murray Bowen first started writing about anxiety, what he meant by that term was the sense in which we as individuals and a society often perceive a subconscious threat and then react to that threat from instinct rather than A, asking, is there a real threat here? And B, responding to that threat with clarity of values. Now, to be very clear, what I'm describing here is very universal and human, and it can be helpful to know that and to laugh at it. In fact, I often like to remind people that the words humanity, humility, and humor all share the same etymological root. And so the goal today is not to judge our anxiety and to judge our anxious reactive patterns, but rather to see them just a little bit more clearly and to gain some clarity on how we be when anxiety takes over, and hopefully to increase our capacity to use our faith and some biblical wisdom to manage our anxiety and regulate our automatic anxious responses. And so let me offer you a fun example from television. My favorite TV character in the history of television is George Costanza from the show Seinfeld, because he's really the most anxious character in the history of the modern sitcom. To George, everything is a threat. And there's this really great scene where George feels snubbed because one of his friends, Jason, is going through AA, and step nine of the program is about asking for forgiveness. Well, George is still harboring resentment towards Jason because years ago, Jason made a comment to George about his sweater being too big for his body. And that really hurt George's feelings. And so George tracks down Jason's AA sponsor in an effort to make Jason apologize for insulting his sweater from so many years ago. And the whole episode, of course, is about George's anxiety and the horrible mess he makes for himself trying to make Jason apologize for something that happened years ago that Jason doesn't even remember. I like to think of anxiety as our inner George Costanza, because let's be honest, we all have a part of us that is just as wound up and deluded as he is, and under certain circumstances, that part of us gets triggered and 
falls into mindless, reactive, predictable patterns. And if this is true, what that means is that it's possible to go through life or be in a marriage or parent our children or run a church or run a government where all we do day after day is automatically and mindlessly react to threats that may not even be there. And so a few fun facts to know about anxiety. Number one, whenever anxiety takes over, it is our emotional lizard brain that is running our behavior. Number two, anxiety is between people more than it is inside of us, which means that certain people and circumstances trigger our anxiety more than others. Number three, it's not something that can be eliminated, but rather only managed, and therefore something we need to increase our capacity to see. And number four, it comes from the Greek word ananke, meaning to choke. Um, This word ananke originally referred to the yokes, the rings put on the neck of slaves in antiquity. It's a powerful image because anxiety chokes our capacity to be the people we want to be when we have not learned to see it and manage it. It's something that enslaves us, something from which we need to be free. But that's not all. Among other things, anxiety decreases our capacity to learn. It replaces curiosity with a demand for certainty. It stiffens our position over against others. It floods our nervous system so that we can't hear what someone else is saying without distorting it. It leads to yes, no, and either or thinking, the idea that there are clear winners and losers. It leads to gossiping rather than doing the hard work of going directly to people and working on problems. Whenever we're anxious, we talk about others rather than to others. It arouses feelings of helplessness and self-doubt. It leads to an array of defensive behaviors. It creates imaginative gridlock. We lose our ability to think of alternatives, options, and new perspectives whenever we're anxious. And by the way, that is not an exhaustive list. And so with all that said, what is the antidote to anxiety? What's the antidote? And this is a term I borrow from Ed Friedman, a wonderful rabbi who died a few years ago. And he said the opposite of falling into reactive, anxious patterns is something he called the differentiation of self. The differentiation of self. And this is what he meant by that term. Differentiation, Friedman says, is the lifelong process of striving to keep one's being in balance through the reciprocal internal and external process of self-definition and self-regulation. In other words, differentiation is about getting really clear on how we are a unique member of a larger whole and about remaining connected to that larger body in a way that is principled and thoughtful as opposed just reactive. In other words, differentiation is about a process as opposed to some goal we achieve. It's about navigating our life through a well-thought-out internal guidance system rather than eyeing the scope to see where others are at, what they're saying, what they're doing, and then either reacting or complying with that. It's about saying I when everyone else is saying we. 
It's about self-regulation, learning not to react to others. You know, they may pull our strings, but we can learn not to dance. It's about knowing where someone else ends and where you begin, having good boundaries. Differentiation is about being clear on our own personal values and goals, about our personal purpose. And here's my favorite. Self-differentiation is about taking maximum responsibility for our own emotional being and destiny rather than blaming others or the context. Now, why is this important? Why all these concepts about anxiety and self-differentiation? And this is where we get to our third teacher of the day, and that, of course, is Jesus. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become one, completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here ends the reading. So why all this talk about anxiety? Well, it's because Jesus calls the church to unity. And right off the bat, I think that we have to name that unity and sameness are not the same thing, that Christians value difference and that difference and unity always go together. As Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members one of another. There is difference, difference in the church, difference in our families of origin, difference in our society, and difference in our life actually creates anxiety. But navigating this difference well, which again is part of our mission in the church, this will create anxiety. And so to navigate the difference well means that we need to come to terms with the anxiety difference creates and learn to see that anxiety and manage that anxiety and regulate that anxiety. And above all, know who we are, know where we stand, know what our values are and what our purpose in life is amidst all the anxiety. And so a question I want to leave you with today is, what do you need to do in your life to be a less anxious presence? What do you need to do in your life to be a less anxious presence? It can be more sleep, more exercise, more journaling, more prayer, more therapy, but what exactly is it that you need to do to stay calm? Because calm words for anxious hearts isn't just about feeling good. It's about living into our mission as the people of God. Remember, calm words create calm people. And calm people are better positioned to make a meaningful contribution to our world than are anxious people. It is very hard to make a love-spreading difference when you're freaking out, or at least that is my experience of life. 
And so with that said, I want to leave you with some calm words from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Let us pray. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be our strength. By the might of thy Spirit, lift us, we pray thee, to thy presence, where we may be still and know that you are God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.